Well, here we are. Back and again. Here we are. We are. What is this? Episode 10. This is our 10th episode. Yeah, we made it. Episode. Well, we made it to 10 episodes. It took us a year episodes. to get here. A, a little longer. And, uh, What, year and three months? Four months? Something? Yeah, but approaching a year and a half. Actually, I can. Is, was when we started, if not longer. It's, I mean, so I think it's, I think it's actually a little longer, but I gauged the actual time frame based on my Amazon purchases for this microphone. Oh, yeah, it's probably longer than that. Because before you purchase those microphones, we probably spend a good month really diving into this thing. Like, are we ready? Are we really doing this? What is it going to look like? What are we going to talk about? How long the episodes are going to be? We covered a lot of ground in our initial conversations without noting anything. And then we got the mic and then we started making Google Docs and spreadsheets and all the other good stuff that so I ordered we currently have. Mic setup mid-October of 2021. So crap. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's taken us a while to get here, but we're yeah. here. We, I made you buy the same microphone so that we have the same setup so the audio sounds good. Yep. So that's helpful. But uh, yeah, so I, I guess October last year would have been a year, and then we started in January. So yeah, year and a quarter, year and a half, roughly. Yeah. And we have what, four listeners? Well, 10th episode is not out yet. And we're at about, I think, about 150 listens of all the episodes. Yeah, the four was a joke, but um, yeah. it's... It, but we do have one episode that we have four listeners. So we have more than four, but one episode has four listens. We actually have Spotify. They just updated the, the analytics side of this. We have Spotify followers now. We have four followers. That's what it was. Excellent. So we have people who are listening who aren't... Because uh, the audience size is bigger. But we have people who are listening who aren't following... And which is interesting. What I think is interesting is our most popular episode still is a study in Emerald. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. So I, you I'm know, surprised. Maybe... It's amazing because I'm surprised. Yeah, it surprises I, I me be too a... because I I wasn't super confident after that episode. I mean, I think we had some flubs. It was episode three, right? So so honestly, I think until what was it last episode where we finally had this microphone? Two episodes ago, something. Well, this side? microphone. We've had for about three or four episodes. We've had plugged the nice correctly. setup, yeah, with the with the wire. It was plugged in correctly originally, but now it's has a better wire and it's uh, going directly into the computer instead of the hub, which we found out was powered for some reason. Both you and I couldn't figure out that it was a powered hub, and despite it being a powered hub, it was still d giving us crappy recordings. Yeah, but now it's from from the interface to the computer directly, better quality in our end. My end. So, but that's like two two episodes, I think. Now, yeah, episode eight, 10. which will come out this coming week, I think. That sounds right. Yeah, because we're we're ahead in our recording. So when this drops, we would have been two episodes ahead. We would we will be two episodes ahead. And that's because I have some work stuff I have to go to out of town. Not gonna have my microphone with me, and some other things coming up. So we're just we're gonna burn a couple episodes. We wanted to make sure to have this done beforehand. Similar to my work that I'm doing right now. I've, I'm trying to prep all the stuff that's going to happen while we're gone on this work trip so that we have it and can keep posting on socials and all that jazz because marketing life. Fun times. Oh yeah, it is. So I guess that's a, uh, you just filled me in on your week. You're, you're prepping, you continued prep for the trade oh, show. Oh and... yeah. Tons of prep. It's like less stressful, which is good. Things are coming together, but uh, it's still a lot. It's still, sure. no, it's I've, our Super Bowl, I've been, so. Yeah. And I feel for you because you, cause you're kind of a one-man show for this thing. Yeah. I've ran our Super Bowl show for the trade association I work with. 
there was a, a communications department, a marketing department, and the development department. It, it was really cut up in, in a poor way, and it is what it is. I think they've improved some of the processes, but each of those three departments had a slice of the pie. But my point is, one of the first year after COVID that we were all back in person, instead of 16 people working on this thing, there were six. And I was one of those six, but I was in charge of two departments. And oh, so I, remember that. I feel yeah. your pain. I feel yeah. your pain. I had more support than you just because I had access to external contractors and SMEs. So I could just hire somebody out because they're mm-hmm. like, we need this to happen. First year back in person, first conference back in person, we want this to be as the best thing possible, as, go as smooth as possible. So they let me hire Always. some contractors. So I had support, but still, man, it was not fun. Running trade shows, not fun. It's a lot of work. It and is. for those uh, listening, SMEs, SMEs, as they're called, subject matter experts. So they're people that you go to about whatever the topic is. So if you're working on a company that does fire hydrants and you've got a SME who is a a seller of fire hydrants to the government, you know, you're going to go, Hey, can you write me a post blog post and a social on, um, the metal you use to make fire hydrants, whatever, why it's great. Right. So that's what a SME or an SME is for those. Uh, now you know a little bit more about marketing. There you go. There you go. What do you say we dive in? What do you say we start with Shalon and Jasno? Let's do it. What hands-on uh, philosophy? Some hands-on philosophy. Run us through the the breakdown of this section. What what does Shalon go through? Well, Shalon goes through a, a few things. She is at the point where she's ready to steal the Stillcaster because her family is running out of excuses and running out of time, but she's having qualms about it. She's worried that not only will she not be successful, but even if she is, is this the right thing to do? And in the midst of this, Jasna takes her into the streets, takes her into the bad part of town, in one of the seediest alleys in that part of town, and proceeds to kill four people who arguably deserved because they were trying to rob and rape Jasna and Shalon. But Shalon responds by victim-blaming Jasna, like, well, if you didn't put yourself out there, you kind of had it, you kind of had it coming. You were asking for it. You're a rich, pretty woman in a bad part of town. What'd you expect was going to happen? And Jasna, to her credit, keeps her cool and says, all right, we'll go back. You do some more studies and come back with me with new insight. Right. Read more philosophy. So I just want to pause a second. Did you expect, do you know the kids say like, oh, she's for the streets? Have you heard that? You know what it means, though, right? Like, oh, she's for the streets. She's a gal who gets run through. I'm not in my head. Yeah. Sl- sleep Sleeps with a lot of people. I just thought it was funny. You say, uh, you know, you wouldn't expect Yasna to be one for the streets. It's a little different. She's, you know, saving barmaids from being attacked and raped in the in the streets of Carbranth. But, uh, you yeah, know. That's a point I missed. That, that's excellent. Glad you said that. The whole organization of the guard is not doing anything about these barmaids getting raped and assaulted in the street. And she goes on a, a bit of a tangent explaining why it might be. But that's another reason she's out there. So she's teaching Salana a lesson, but a little bit of vigilante justice at the same time. She is the Batman of Roshar. I mean, she's wealthy enough, right? She Yeah. 
her father died and um she's got the power to do so yeah absolutely that's the it batwoman that's the episode shalon or sorry yasna is the batman of roshar now you know i'm yep. gonna get a lot of hate mail for that see you next week yeah yeah that's it so shalon is told to go back to the where are they the pro yeah palisade well, they go back palisade 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 of the palisade um, they go back to, to the library. Their, to the library, and a couple of weeks go by, I think, or a couple of days go by. Days. And Shalon, after doing some research, she's not only faced with her own worldview, and she, like you put in the notes, is forced to engage with it, but she ultimately decides that Yasna is technically right to kill those men. Palinaeum. Ah, uh, Palinaeum. There you go. Pretty close. It might be immoral and unethical. But legally, Justin didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, so this is interesting, right? So so a lot of times you'll have armchair philosophy. And for those who aren't in the know, armchair philosophy is when someone just sits around and touts off their opinion on whatever, and they just go, I'm right because blah, 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 whatever the reasons are. But hands-on philosophy is something entirely different. And so I really love what, Yasna did here where she took Shalon and made her address her worldview both with something that she wouldn't have done willfully and again with after the or with after the with after the fact wow I uh I grew up on a farm in Nowheresville with after the fact and after the fact where she has to think through why is this just or unjust why is this valid or invalid through philosophy and and no one i've never read another book that has made philosophy so digestible for an average reader like this i read philosophy and it's fun and sometimes it well a lot of times it goes way over my head but it's enjoyable because it requires me to think deeply but yasna breaks this down which means that sanderson also took the opportunity to go, how can I boil down philosophy for an average reader so this doesn't get too lofty, but it's still clearly an intelligent woman talking about philosophy. And I think that that's just brilliant. The way this portion is written, and I'm talking about Shalon, looking at the philosophy book, studying this, coming back to Yasna, explaining herself, realizing that Yasna is right, not only for, well, she doesn't think she's right, Yasna is absolved legally for the killings, and Yasna makes a valid point, even though Shalon doesn't agree with it. The way that's written, and then Yasna's response is prodding uh, Shalon to think deeper, I think you're exactly right. It is written well, where somebody who doesn't have a lot of exposure to philosophy can go, oh, okay, I kind of understand. And if they don't even say that, at least the discussion is understandable to the reader in its context. Forget what their attachment or lag thereof to philosophy might be prior or after the reading. They get exposed to it and it's easily grasped. Yeah. So I don't think we covered this yet. And if we did, then sorry. So just before Yasna takes Shalon out to have hands-on philosophy, Shalon is realizing that she doesn't have the capability, she doesn't have the power of will to steal the soul caster right Right. and then Mm -hmm. she has this hands-on philosophy moment with 
Yasna out in the street of Karbroth, where Yasna has a, a mass killing. Uh, was it mass murder? Four people? I think that's what Yeah, it I think is. it's four or more. It's considered a, a mass killing or mass shooting. Mass murder, yeah. Mass soul casting. And so then she goes back and Shalon decides, because of Shalon's religion, that soul casters are holy, that Yasna doesn't deserve to have this anymore because of what she did. Now, this is before... Shallan spends the time thinking and mulling over and, and really boiling through the philosophical argument of, is it just to kill four men who were trying to rape, steal, and kill these two women? And these are women, at least one of whom can protect herself, not to mention just this side of town, which Yasna brings up of, about the barmaids, who don't have the ability to protect themselves and could get attacked by these men as well. And who have, who have been attacked. Who have, and raped right, by because it's men. got a reputation, which is why she took her here in the first place. Yeah, So, and as we mentioned, the the local guard, or even the city guard, not just the local guard, the whole guard. Yeah, look uh, the other way. Yasna accuses of being corrupt and not doing anything about these people because they serve a purpose for the corrupt guard. Right, whatever that case may be. And yeah. so it's interesting that this is the thing that puts Shallan in, I want to say a tizzy, uh, because she, she just goes, I'm going to do it. And then she does it. Shallan is one of those characters who, as the books progress, she has a lot more capability and strength than she gives herself credit for, which is a really interesting character to write, I think, because a character who doubts themselves, and frankly, you know, I've met people like this. I've been like this before, where, where you you don't have any confidence in your own ability on something, but other people on the outside go, I don't know why you're lacking confidence, and they're confused because you do something really well, or you're really good at something, or you know a lot more than you realize. And it's been that way in my career myself for certain skills. SEO is one of them, where it's like. At first, because they don't teach you these things, there's like no classes you can take really. They don't. There's no college degree for these things. The business world just expects that you understand things because they need it done. And a lot of it is learn on the fly, which is partly why college is a waste of time and money. But I won't go down that rabbit hole. I won't go on that side quest. So no, nope. but I I agree with you. But we'll leave that side quest uh, closed we'll, for now. We'll we'll come back to it at some point. These characters are complex, right? They're not two dimensional. They're not, I'm the bad guy, I am the good guy, I am the royal princess who has, you know, daddy issues, or whatever the, the case may be. There's a complexity to even Yasna, who is, maybe in most books, or in many books, could be very two-dimensional. She's the daughter of a king who's kind of a bitch, and whether or not that's true and, real, you know, revealed to be true or not, but here's her reputation, here's her characteristics, it's all it's like tropey if I make 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 up a word. Yeah. Right? I don't yeah. I don't think yeah. there's a lot of tropes here. Like it's dynamic. The situations that they, these characters find themselves in are dynamic. Right. And obviously 20 books, five in these series specifically, the it can't be just 5000 pages of you know monotony. Even how Shalon seesaws between wanting to steal a castle caster committing a lot of effort despite despite being a timid, shy, insecure girl, committing a lot of effort to getting to the place where the soulcaster is, 
then deciding maybe this is not the right thing to do, then going, well, no matter what, I got to save my family, then going, no, I can't do this at all, to going like, screw this, I'm doing it, <laughs> and then I'm doing it. You, you mentioned in the previous episode where the every movie, every story, every book, like most stories are person A wants something from person B. So how do you write that well? How do you show that well? And I think Sanderson, and this is what you're saying, I think, Sanderson shows this struggle, for lack of a better term, within Shalon really well. Yeah, he does. This was actually, I had to look it up. This is his sixth novel for from release. So his first novel was released in 2005, and then The Way of Kings was released in 2010. So he, well, he hasn't written the 20 books when he started this series, but he did write and we docked, we talked about this a little bit before the Way of Kings Prime, where he spent time kind of writing this whole book out before he had it developed to the level that it's developed today. And he also has this thing, and I don't think I've mentioned this before, where he'll have beta readers and gamma readers read his books. No, you've mentioned this, yeah. Have I mentioned it on the podcast, though? Because I'm sure I've mentioned yeah, it to you. Yeah, I think so. All right, fair I enough. I think you have. But in any case, it's worth mentioning again, so don't let it stop you. Well, yeah, the, I mean, the whole point here is just that he gets the opportunity, or or maybe he's not gets the opportunity. He's created a system in his writing style that allows him to develop characters at a higher tier, a, a deeper depth, because he has people of various education levels and various interest levels and subject matter expertise levels read these books and he says tell me when you respond happy sad like what emotions are you feeling through the writing and then he takes that and i think this is the hardest part honestly he takes their feedback he synthesizes it and then rewrites the book not always like a full rewrite but certainly heavy editing and that to me is incredible because synthesizing people's information. I, I helped a buddy of mine and the book never came out because it still needed a lot of work, but I, I enjoy helping authors move their books forward. And he decided to do other things. But this is the way that I came at reading one of his copies is, hey, here are the problems with the book. Here's when I was happy. Here's when I was sad. Here's when I was confused. Even though I knew what was coming, it's like by this chapter, I'm not sure what's going on and I don't know why to care. I don't know why I should care. And that's because if you stop caring, and this is probably a good question for you, we're 30, we're 45 chapters into this book. Have you stopped caring about Shalon? No. Even though my opinions of her as a character have changed, right? Yeah. I'm still interested. What I said, what, two episodes ago now was I am committed to Shalon and Kaladin. Right. Like committed in the sense, I, I think I used the word attached. I am attached to their stories, no matter where they go, because the way they're written. And I know I've said this a million times. For me personally, the pace of the writing it, is just right. And that was the same thing for Warbreakers. That was the same thing for Shadows, uh, Silence for Shadow. Shadows, Shadows for, for silence. silence. I got you. In the yep. Forest of Hell. That was a short story. Still, the pace was there. And here, there's a lot here. There's It's a long story. Yep. I am chapter 35 into a thousand page volume one. 
and to answer your question, I am not bored. Right. I care. Right. I care because I want to know, will Shalon steal? Like, will the Justin's little uh, escapade, hands-on philosophy lesson in the streets, how will that change Shalon? Right. And and no, go ahead. It's okay. So so this is this is where the depth comes in. Is good novels have characters who he who each have their own priorities. Uh, Dalinar has his own priorities. Adolin has conflicting priorities, but he's still his son. Kaladin has his own priorities. Moesh, Teft, like side characters, the interludes, the freaking interludes. These people have their own priorities. And and Sanderson somehow has captured the ability to look at a character and go, okay, here's enough information for me to write on them, do a draft, show their priorities, hand it to some gamma readers, beta readers. They give feedback, and he goes, okay, interesting. And then he synthesizes that into the fuller narrative that is the Cosmere. And I'm sure that the process is not this simple, right? Like, he's got a team. He literally built a company around his authorship. Him being an author, he has a full company, which is unheard of in today's modern world, right? Like, even the some of the people we read, like Poe and H.P. Lovecraft from the early 1900s, these people didn't have companies. They were failed writers. They didn't make any money. And frankly, you've got Stephen King, Neil Gaiman, and like Tolkien didn't even make a ton of money from his books. Like most of these authors who made money afterward or like their trusts or whatever it's called, estates, that's the word. They made money after they died. Like I don't know a lot of big authors who made money while they were alive, right? I mean, yeah, well, please. Stephen King. Right. Well, yeah, I mentioned him and, and Neil Gaiman. Who am I forgetting? Like there's not a lot of people who are living and their whole thing is to be an author. Malcolm Gladwell, but he he found a way to take other people's research and make it his own, which I don't think we'll ever read his stuff on here because it's more like fantasy, sci-fi, fun fiction stuff. But his stuff's really interesting, right? So, well, I think if you look at the 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 writers who produce like mass paperback or market mass market paperbacks, um, and some of them are are decent, like Grissom, Michael Crichton. Oh yeah, Grissom. Like those type of writers, they make money hand over fist and romance novels i should i should give credit i don't know any of the author names because i've never read any of them because it has no interest for me but i do know that that is a genre is booming in bucks yeah figuratively and literally exactly you're welcome but if we're talking about novelists that are not necessarily mainstream they're they kind of have a niche right like not a lot of not not a lot of authors Raking the dough in the in those uh in those realms. No, no, not at all. All right. Well, enough on that. Bring us back to the story. So Shalon was able to steal the Soulcaster. Soulcaster, after the hands-on philosophy event, she writes a paper. She does a lot of thinking and addresses her worldview. She does a lot of thinking, and comes back to Yasna. She goes, "All right, you. It was right technically to kill those men, but it was unethical and immoral." And Yasna's response was. So morality and legality are two different things. She she, she asks a question. She doesn't even give an answer. Right. So is that what you Maybe think? Maybe she's Jewish. Uh, We're allowed to say those jokes. Yeah. Shine your star. Don't add us in the comments, Kanye. So Shalon steals it. Yasna challenges her. And then Yasna tries to delineate between morality and legality. Right? And what does Shalon say to that? 
Yasna, what you did is wrong, even though it's legal. And then I remember Yasna's, you know, question to her. She's like, oh, so morality and legality are different, different things. Right, right. So Yasna ends up challenging Shalant with, and, and this is like very much a teacher thing to do. She goes, okay, I read your paper. I think you have a, and this is such an interesting like philosophy 101 thing to me. She's like, I think you believe what you've said. And Shalon's like, but I still disagree with you. And Yasna's like, that's fine. I don't care. And oh, you brought, you brought back something to my memory bank. She also says, I believe that you believe what you believe. Right. What you've said. And that you have a fair, a fair grasp on the stuff you read. I think you have a grasp. She didn't even say fair. She didn't qualify. She said, you have a grasp on the stuff you study and you came up with your position rationally you, you you took the time and there's valid uh warranted a valid argument yeah, you right, made a valid yeah, argument yeah warranted belief if you will which i won't side quest on that but that's like a very big phrase in philosophy is like having warranted belief not just belief warranted which is means it's justified and valid anyway yeah so she does that but then Chalan has this you know self-reflective is not the right word she has this this um this come to jesus moment if you will where she's like, well, I've accused Yasna of these things, but I stole this soul caster. And she has to then address her worldview with her her own actions. She has to look inward, right? And and what does she, she do after that? After stealing the soul caster? Well, she has this conversation with Yasna after she's stolen the soul caster already. Because she's like, they go do the hands-on philosophy. They come back. She takes the soul caster that night. And then a couple days go by, she's thinking about this stuff. She writes her paper, she gives it to Yasna, and then she's like thinking through herself and her own actions and stealing the soul caster. Oh, yeah. So is she still having a back and forth with herself? She's like, did I do what is right? How will Yasna react if she, when she finds out, now that I have it, what do I do next? Do I leave right away? And she decides to leave. And she, even as she's trying to use the soul caster, like hidden away in the garden, she's still processing if she, what she did is right. And, you know, even though, yes, Yasna killed them and that wasn't right, Yasna still trusts me. I am her ward. So there's this uh, a battle within her conscience throughout yeah. the whole thing. It It's honestly another one of those moments to me that reminds me of Crime and Punishment where someone takes an action and there's a self-inflicted emotional or mental wound. It's probably both, honestly, where someone has tarnished their own conscience by their actions and their conscience is going, that's incongruous. That's incongruous with who you want to be. That's integrity, unintegritous of who you want to be. Syl does this to Kaladin a couple times uh, where she's like, I don't know if that's lying or not, where she's like challenging his actions. And we'll get to yep. Kaladin here in a minute. But it's so fascinating to watch this happen because I said previously that Crime and Punishment's the worst book ever. But to me, not sitting here and watching someone toil with it in the midst of their everyday life and like, I don't have to be trapped in their own mind the whole time. That's much more interesting to me because they're also taking actions. That's why when I read Shalon's parts, I'm interested in what happens next. I am trying to understand how she's thinking, what she's talking about, 
you know, internally what and what's coming out of her mouth when she's with the Artnant and with Yasna, you see the the struggle there, right? You see her internal thoughts, you see how she acts in spite or despite of them, and that that's what makes her an interesting character. I think it's in this section, it might be in the next one, where or in the previous one, my, everything's melding together these past couple of weeks, but even her feelings towards the Ardent. Capsule. There's a lot of conflict there because, and it all goes back to her, her family. How will he respond? He, I think he loves me. I kind of have feelings for him. Oh, he's willing, willing to leave, leave the, you know, the Ardentia, the priesthood, Ardentia basically for her. Yeah. And what will he think when I bring him home? What will my brothers do if I bring him home? He's a stranger. Shalon's going through a, a, some some stuff. You're there on every like on every sentence on every page. You're like this girl is struggling through this immense problem. She's in quicksand. She's right? in emotional or, yeah, emotional quicksand because of whatever her upbringing is. And yeah, I. It's funny you bring up Capsule because I was gonna go there next. She's got a little crush on this uh, this old boy, right? She does, and she doesn't know what to do with it because you know, as she says, I think in again, I, I might be jumping ahead, but it'll, it'll work for the the character discussion we're having, forty six or forty seven, whatever, whichever one is her chapter where. Her dad, you know, always protected her and yet propped her up. So she was kind of, I guess, his favorite. She was always protected. All her tutors were always harassed or they were run off because he had whatever whatever her dad had. But at the same time, he kind of propped her up and paraded her around as, I'm assuming, based on just a few sentences that we were given, as his favorite, as an example. Maybe that's why her brothers, you know, have the problems they have, at least not a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So she is a sheltered girl that had some heavy, I don't want to say burden, but there were some responsibilities that she had as the daughter of her father that really messed with her. So it messed with her self-confidence. It messed with her understanding her own calling. At the same time, she was sheltered away from the world. So when she meets the Ardent, she's surprised by the feelings she's having. She's it's not even like a young girl discovering love or discovering feelings for a young man in school or something, you know, whatever. Pick a situation. She's an older, younger woman. She's, I think, like approaching her 20s, if not in her 20s. And as a woman, she is confused by the feelings she has for this guy. And if you're, I think, if you're carefully reading her story, at least what I get out of it is that's the sheltering and that she, you know, the overprotective father leads to this girl completing some pretty amazing feats like to get to Yasna to steal the soul caster to do all these things and in the midst of it going I don't know how I feel about this boy now I'm sure people are sometimes confused about how they feel about the opposite sex and they're not sure do I like her do I like him but for her it's times 10 and that's why it stands out to me that's why it stands out to me it's not just some guy or some girl not I'm not sure how I feel about Julie or Bob or whatever, that's valid. This is a girl who's, again, completed amazing, just amazing feats given her character and given her limitations, and then is completely confused, like flabbergasted by just maybe having a crush on a guy who she thinks is cute. Yeah, she well, she was so sheltered growing up, right? Like, and you touched on this a little bit, but Capsule 
Capsule's an interesting character. Do, what do you... I don't know how many ca- chapters you've read ahead at this point, but... Oh, uh, I'm, I'm at the... I'm at Strawberry. I just finished Strawberry. Oh, okay. Well... Yeah. So, before but that's for that, next time. Yeah, before that, what did you think about Capsule and his inappropriate relationship with Shalan? So, what I think about Capsule it hasn't changed. I mentioned a episode ago that he kind of rubbed me the wrong way and we we've said we've met people like this in our in our, you know, in our life. I've met people like this in seminary and something's off. I'm like I believe that he Again, believes what he believes, and right the what he's doing, he believes is right. But his approach to things, I'm not fond of. I don't like it. He's such a nice guy. Oh, just a nice guy. He also wants to win Yasna over uh, to Warrenism as the religion. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the fact that she has a soulcaster. And one of the ancient soulcasters, or one of the you know OG soulcasters, that is also heresy a problem. Yeah, problem. Well, you more than just yes, yes, it's heresy either way. But because it's a OG soulcaster, that's an additional level of problems for the ordinance. Oh yeah, am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, the, okay. Anybody who has the soulcaster and like doesn't believe which is rare as it is from the sounds of it from the world that this is everyone believes something i mean in one of the interludes we saw this you know group of people on roshar because everything happens on roshar that believes in these two gods like everyone believes something and yasna's like nah the almighty's dead so her having one of these holy relics is pretty bad but the thing is they can't take it away from her she's super wealthy she's sister to the king her father was king like you can't just take that away from her her mother's you know this well-known researcher and inventor of fabrials and and stuff so yeah it's interesting yeah i think i lost track of the answer i was trying to give you but here we are sometimes Um, side quests end up leading to progress uh, that's yeah. supposed to sound so a lot more. That, that's what I think about. That's what I think was. about the Ardent is. I, I'm not, I don't like him. Capsule. Yep. I don't like him, and having read what what I read in chapters for next episode, I don't like him even more. And I get see he's. I don't think he's a bad guy. And maybe I'll, I'll be proven wrong because I made some assumptions and I've been proven wrong. Right now, I don't get the sense that he is a bad guy. In the sense that I, mean, I might say Gaz is a bad guy. He's not <laughs> skeevy. Right. But there's something that's just, ah, there's something that rubs me the wrong way. So Capsule, going to a point that we mentioned a minute ago, or a few minutes ago, Capsule has his own priorities. Oh, sure. Right? And those get revealed soon, which you know you kind of allude to. And we'll just kind of leave it at that for right now. But there's a lot more going on here. The beauty of the the writing for the Cosmere as a whole is Sanderson mapped out a huge portion of this and he's like cutting off chunks and then he's writing books on those chunks. But there's a lot more that's going on in the Cosmere as a whole that as you read more books, you start to become privy to. 
in the prologue, and even when you re-listen to this, you'll hear some of my clues that I give you that you don't know are clues because of how I've done it, because I've read the books multiple times. But even in the prologue, not the prelude where we see the heralds, but the prologue, there are one-liners that when you do a reread, you go, oh, shoot. I didn't even know he mentioned that. It requires some reading from some other books and knowing what's going on with a couple more books deep on this. But like, that's how prepared he was in writing this book in 2010. He'd been working on the Cosmere for years and it shows, frankly. Anyway, let's, uh, any final thoughts on Shalon and Yasna and Capsule and, oh, we missed a huge part. Sorry, I'm trying to jump the gun here. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, go for it. So, Shalon decides to leave. Throughout all this muck that she's uh, going through, right, she decides to leave. And Capsule comes by and she tells him she's going to leave. And then in the next couple of days, he comes by to get a portrait drawn, get a picture drawn. And she begins to draw. And for the second time, she draws something that's not there because she has a weird way. And I wanted, I wanted to ask you this, and maybe you can give me enough for context. She is a, she blinks and captures an image with her mind, and then draws that. So yes, I a uh, real quick side quest here. I love that she has photographic memory, and I love that this is the way that he talks about it. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. So. She tries to do a portrait of the king. She tries to do a portrait of Capsule. And, well, the, the, the one with Capsule is her and Capsule together. Anyway, when she draws these two pictures, she sees, like, these glyphs or these forms. And in the place of the face, there's a glyph. And they're horrific, apparently. They, they scare her. And so she runs out of the room in the middle of drawing her in capsule and runs into her room and she starts hearing voices. Apparently these glyphs or a, one of these glyphs is Mm -hmm. talking to her, if not more than one. And in the middle of this, she soul casts. She turns a goblet that's next to her bed into blood. Yep. And because she's screaming like a lunatic, people are rushing towards the room. Yasna's outside the room. And so she decides, well, what am I going to do with this blood? Then she'll know that I soul cast. So I'm going to pretend I'm injured. And she cuts herself and faints from loss of blood because she cut herself too deep. Now she'll, it looks like a suicide. Yeah, she purposefully made a suicide attempt to circumvent the fact that she soul cast. And she doesn't know that she, how she did it. Because she just knows that she did because she sees right. the end result. Which yeah. is, which is. It's an interesting, it's like finding out that you can run a four minute mile. Like, oh, I didn't know I could do this. It's just like, this is a, that's a terrible example because that involves effort. But doing something, doing a car trick for the first time and realizing that your fingers are so much more nimble than you realized. And you're like, oh, I actually have a, I have a knack for this thing. And then you try and do it again, but now you're thinking about it so you can't do it again. Like, but I mean, soul casting is a whole different level because it's Roshar. But yeah, so Shalon has done this thing that she didn't know how to do. She's freaked out Capsule, and Yasna is curious 
about why Shalon is acting erratic. I mean, she already knows that she's erratic, but at least a little bit. She's seen it happen with uh, Tara Vangian when she was drawing that stuff too. So, yeah, well, what do you think's going to happen with Shalon? What, what do you think this leads to? Well, I know what this leads to. Um, Not in, in depth, you book. don't. I mean, you know what the next like step is, but like in, in long term for the rest of the book. For the rest of the book. Well, remember I, I said uh, one of my assumptions for Shalon was that she'll probably, she might steal the Soulcaster. It might happen. Yeah. And it's not going to end well for her. The easy answer is she gets in a lot of trouble, meaning like prison or punishment or banishment or something. Because my one of my assumptions was if she succeeds in doing this, this was in episode five, you know, part one of the this series, if she succeeds in doing this, it's going to lead to a lot of suffering. Family's not going to get saved. I don't know if I said yep. that exactly, but that's what I was thinking. Family's not going to get saved. You know, Nambalad's going to start ripping off legs out of, from, you know, bigger animals. But for, for Shalon specifically, Yasna will probably seek some sort of retribution. I think Yasna's going to have something up her sleeve, no pun intended, that will make Shalon's life hard is too simplistic of a phrase. Shalon is in a world, in a world of hurt. Yeah. When she wakes up. It's a lot to take because in. It's going to come out, spoiler alert, it's going to come out that she's still the Soulcaster because it's, she attempts, I don't think she attempts suicide, but she, it looks like it and she's not arguing it because, hey, it's it, better than it's the alternative. It's an easy out, right, right. What are the figures she keeps seeing? Well, they're dark figures with faces that look like glyphs, right? And they speak to her. You think they're the void bringers? Maybe. Could they be the Voidbringers? Because uh, they say things that are, they say, are the Voidbringers associated with desolations? That's what we, yeah, that's what we understand, at least partially. As far as we know now. Yeah. Without giving me yeah, pr- yeah. more details that I need to know. Right. Okay. So the Voidbringers are associated with the desolations. They could be because they look weird, right? They're dark, ominous figures with mysterious faces. By mysterious, I mean they're contorted and they're like, I guess they're they like sacred geometry. Face for faces right and one of them says i've been asleep but now i'm awake i'm paraphrasing or i can change for you so they say these esoteric things to her and they're in a spiritual realm and we know that well i won't go into kaladin's thing because we're about to step into it i mean in the next episode uh no like kaladin's whole dream in the next episode oh yeah yeah yeah. and um delinar's dreams that are different but the not not that much. So I'm thinking whatever's happening in this world, maybe a desolation is coming or another wave of well yeah, desolation. Desolation. Let's, let's, I don't want let's, let's not get fancy. Like another desolation is coming. It's been quiet for a while. And I think these characters, Sanderson is setting them up as major players in this desolation. Well, that's not a great transition into Kaladin, but um where we left Kaladin was he was strung up by Sadius in the high storm, well, just before the high storm, right? And Sadius tells people publicly, and this is a very pious community, these bright lords, he says the the storm father can judge him, right? Because no one's ever survived a high storm. They're just, the winds are too much. It throws boulders. So, I mean, that's already, it's basically a tornado, right? Like these things are tornadoes every time. They come through. And well, more like a hurricane. 
Yeah. Because it's, okay, sure. it's not centralized. It's uh, just a massive front. Tornadoes are very centralized, right? Like, that's fair. The, the, that's fair. Like, you, you can be a mile away and the tornado, you, you'll see it, but it won't affect you. But a mile away from a hurricane, you, you're you're getting wet, at least. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that that's a good description. So anyway, we ended last episode with Kaladin being strung up and left for dead. Why did he get strung up and left for dead? Do you remember? Yeah, because of the side carry. Side he, carry. Yeah. He he did. He tried to survive. He him and his bridge. Yeah. Yeah, and he did survive. Yeah. And, you know, for now. He got a bunch of people killed. But yeah, they did a side carry to the bridge, which got him to the chasm faster, protected them from the heirs of the Prashendi. Heirs of the Prashendi. Wow. When are they Middle English? From the Prashendi's arrows, it protected them. But while they got there faster, the other bridges. You know, went all nuts doing, oh, let's do that too. And oh man, slaw- trying to pull off a trick when you don't have the practice doing it, especially in war, man, not the time. Not the time. No. So this is punishment for Cal. And he escapes uh, being uh, killed by Larinar. What's that guy's name? No, not Larinar. I think you're thinking of Lalaramar, which is from Warbreaker. But um, Gaz. Is, he has the other guy. Yeah, his name is does start with an L, and I can't think of it at the moment. Yeah, well, he gets killed in place of Lamorel. Uh, you were right. You Lamorel. were close. Yeah, yeah. Lamorel. So he gets killed in place of Kaladin because he was going to kill Kaladin, and Kaladin can convinces them, "Hey, it's going to come down to you, and I'm the only guy that can tell you, tell them, your leaders, that it was my idea." Yep. It works in Cal's favor because. He gets spared then, and Lamoril gets killed. But Sadius, to prove a point, uh, has him... Uh, well, no, Lamoril has him beaten, right? Yep. Yeah, moments and after Sadius the battle. to prove a point, right. And strings Sadius him up. Sadius, to prove a point, strings him up on a, on a roof, off of a roof, during a high storm. So then what happens? Sadius, well, like, we, we've got the, the recount of what happened. But I loved yeah, yeah. ending last week's episode... For anyone who hasn't read the book or like read through that. It was a good ending. Kaladin's dead. That's it. Hurricane coming. Well, it ends with a very good line, right? Kaladin braces himself and the storm hits. That's where 34 ends. And we pick up 35 with Kaladin in the storm being tossed around like a rag doll. And he sees a weird thing, which is a face. Well, he sees one interesting thing. He sees Syl trying to protect him somehow or stand against the storm. And in his head, it looks like she's trying to, you know, bar the winds from hitting him. And in the middle of this, he sees a face in the storm, in the actual front itself, in the clouds. The reader is led to believe that it might be the storm father, and he passes out. Storm is over. The men walk out, and they see what they expected to see, a mangled dead body. As they're looking upon Cal... He opens his eyes, which means he's alive. Barely, barely alive. But he is alive. He survives the storm, fully survives, and even more quickly than people expected for anybody to serve, you know, to recover. But he heals very quickly, and he's out and about within ten days. Well, but how? But how does he? Let's let's pull in. Let's zoom in for a second. How does he heal super quickly? Well, in the world. Like, uh, obviously, some sort of miracle happened, right? No, 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 no. So, so Teft, Teft came to him, and he put spheres in his hands. It says he put them into his hand, three diamond uh, chips, and then Kaladin breathed it in. Oh, stormlight. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. 
So he get he gets healed by Stormlight, and presumably he also gets saved by Stormlight. He has a sphere in his hand during the storm, and he's able to somehow hold on to it throughout the ordeal. Yeah. So the well, Teft ends up. Well, let's 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 side quest on Teft for a second because we don't know a lot about Teft yet, but Teft seems reluctant and hesitant and re- yeah, I'm reluctant and hesitant seem seem fair about Kaladin as a whole and something to do with Kaladin uh, being able to take in Stormlight. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, a little bit. He has seen this before and being who I think he is, he does not want to be disappointed. He's cautious because he's an older man. He's just he just knows a little bit more. He's he's lived some. He's I mean, could it be both? Bit. It could be both too. It could be both too. Why not? But I think toss a coin to the Witcher. <laughs> I think it could different series, different series. Well played. Teft is seeing things that are reminding him of something else. Right. Like right. So he's like, oh well, crap. This is going on, but it shouldn't. But it is, and. I'm I'm getting that, and I won't be able to even rephrase it or paraphrase it well, but I'm getting that from certain interactions with him and Cal. Not just the two you, you pointed to right now with the stormlight, mm-hmm. but just when they talk, I'm kind of getting, I'm getting this vibe. So I'm getting this vibe that Teft is trying to figure out Cal mm-hmm. because this is out of the ordinary. Yeah. And even though Teft has seen this, has seen this before, he wants to make sure he's right in his assumptions about Cal, whatever they may be. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I would phrase it. I think that's fair. So Teft has to come in and and, and test his theory about Kaladin, and and that's when he puts the diamond spheres. But before that, we get a quick glimpse of Sil fighting off Deathspren in like Cal's unconscious but sort slightly lucid form, where she's like fighting off. Death spread with like a a pure white light sword, sort of light. Any thoughts on that at all, or Cal's just dreaming it up? No, I don't think he's dreaming it up because we've seen death spread and rot spread and ale spread and fear spread and ale spread, X spread and all sorts of other uh, stuff. So I think I think that's really happening. He's just coming in and out of consciousness. That's mm-hmm. not a, okay. a hallucination. Okay, interesting. All right, that's fun. So, after Kaladin recovers, we see him dart to take charge again, and we also see him have a quick conversation with Zigzal, and Zigzal says, er, he, he tells him this story about eyes of red and blue, right? Do you remember that story? Do you want to... Yeah, vaguely. Eyes of red and blue is a view of the world, right? How or the view of situations. So yeah, it was like this this city where if you were a criminal, you got strung up similarly at Marabethia and it's a method of execution, but it's like if you survive, they'll let you go, right? And and they say it's eyes of red and blue because red's for the blood and blue's for the ocean because they're dangling them over the ocean where chasm fiends uh well not chasm fiends but like the equivalent of chasm fiends from the ocean come up and eat them like 
large whales or or large creatures that basically come and feed on these criminals, but they'd rather take that than because it's got a chance of hope than to just be executed. So I think Cal gets accused of having eyes of red and blue. How so? Walk us through that. Well, because he's in an impossible situation. Bridgemen are supposed to die. Bridgemen are not supposed to survive. Right? Bridgemen are bait for the Prashendi arrows. And yet, Cal, he is working at making sure they don't die. Yes, he is. And that leads... Well, so we have two flashbacks. And then I want to get into what happens after he's basically recovered and then there's a new Bright Lord brought in. So, But before the new Bright Lord's brought in, that's over top of them, authority-wise. We have two flashbacks in this section for Cal. And one of them is him having a rough life with seeing his childhood crush kind of be taken in by the new town Bright Lord, Rashon, and his son. And he goes to Rashon's manor with his dad. And he's like, I'm going to support my dad. And then he does what kids do, right? Like he he has a passing moment of bravado and then caught up. He's caught up in the moment and has outbursts of anger and then is sent away because the men are going to talk. And it addresses it that way. Like he's a boy and they're men and he's sent away, right? So any any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, so he shows a bit of bravado there. And then when he sees his crush who just craps all over him, he gets weak in the knees and then he can't retort to uh, Roshan's son busting his chops. So he feels defeated. He feels deflated, just like he felt when that farmer boy kicked his butt during their little uh, brawl a couple of years before this. So he feels defeated. He also is feeling angst and anger, maybe, that his dad might capitulate. Because Roshan is accusing his dad of stealing the spheres that supposedly the previous Bright Lord had given him before he died for the family. But in this episode, we find out that he stole them with the help of his wife. He robbed the Bright Lord of spheres to pay for his son's education. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So you are friends with someone wealthy, and you live in an impoverished town, and you have made a deal with the leader of the wealthy leader of that town that his daughter and your son will get together and they'll live happily ever after. But as a sudden turn of events, he dies before before you know the kids are of age and they can get married and whatever. And you know how politics work. You're of the second nod. So what I mean, it's it's another one of those ethical dilemmas, right? Like like Shalon's gone through where you go, okay, well, I mean they had a they had an arrangement. It would have been a dowry of sorts, but he died before it could happen. So yeah. does that make it immoral? Is that make it invalid? Does that make it stealing? I don't know. Because you're doing what's best for your family. It's like it's similar to like being trained under a heretic when you don't believe the same faith, but they are the best at their craft, which is scholarship. Like, is it worth it to save your family? I love yeah. these dilemmas. Wildly two different dilemmas. And they're only similar maybe in, in some principle. It's principle, yeah, yeah. But I am much more sympathetic to Shalon's dilemma than I am to Cal's father. Because even though what I text you like, hey, dead men won't miss their money, he still stole. If, if he stole the dowry that was even given to him on a handshake, if he stole that dowry itself, I'd be like, okay, I get it. But 
just like, hey, all right, well, I want to steal these because nobody's looking. And to use your excuse, well, they were going to get married anyway. Piss poor excuse. Now, having said that, would you do, would I do the same to feed your family? But he doesn't feed his family with it. He keeps the spheres until he's pressed to make a show of it. He keeps them for his son's education. So he didn't steal them because they were destitute and and hungry. People still left food for them and they still ate. They didn't eat as well as they did when they were getting donations. They weren't hungry. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I think I err on the side with Liren where I think taking them was okay because well, part of the problem is we don't have full context of this friendship relationship that he had with this wealthy city lord, right? Like, we don't know. Yeah, it was close enough to get said the bright lord was going to give his daughter to a dark eyes. Right, right. They had to be close. Right. And, you know, we don't know a lot about him, but it's I think it's fair to say that he understands how the world works with bright eyes and dark eyes and the nods and, and like, classes where, I mean, I think that he probably would have given him the spheres. So is it wrong to take them? I don't think so. Not not in this context. If you're going to give someone your daughter in marriage, that means you trust them at least a little bit. Even if it's just for a political gain on your part. Look, let's quote Warbreaker, right? Like there's at least some level of trust when the king gives his daughter to the god king to make a political marriage. There's at least some level of trust between like my people and your people. At minimum Right. So if you're going to give your daughter in marriage and and we're not going to go down modern side quests of of giving daughter in marriage, because I I don't think it's relevant to this topic because it's not. It's a different world. Yeah. It's it's a fiction. Yeah. Yeah. So not a problem. Yeah. So I think it's okay for him to take them. No, I understand. I understand what you're saying. And I'm trying not to import my worldview too much. Just, uh, you know from this world into this fictional world, but you can't escape that. Remember we talked about an episode ago or two episodes ago, everybody's worldview informs how you act. So we're talking about epistemology, metaphysics, and ethics. Mm -hmm. How you view knowledge, how you view reality will inform how you understand ethics. So we can't, because we live in the real world, we can't completely shut off when we are discussing a fictional world. We're going to bring that to the table. Yeah, that's fair. So so for me, if we're going to look at cold, hard facts, just give me the facts, ma'am, right? Then that is stealing. That is. Like, it's not, nobody gave them to you. You're making an assumption based on a friendship and based on the promise that, yeah, if he was alive and I asked him for this, he would just give me these fears or whatever. But at the end of the day, not his, he took him. Now, am I blaming him for it? Am I saying, ah, Liren, you piece of garbage, that's it. Like, you're the worst father ever, bad citizen, and the betrayer of of Bright Lords. I'm not going that far. But he took something that wasn't his, right? Mm, Now, I don't know. I I read into the the subtext of the friendship. Like, if you, I I just, my argument about the, like, you give your daughter in marriage, like, that's not an untrusting thing. Sure. Well, well, Forget the dowry. Go. Just like you, if you're gonna, yeah. Anyway, I won't well, belabor well, let me, the point. Let me pose a question. Sure. Yeah. No. Please. Please. You and I are friends, right? I'm gonna I'm steal my, from you. Tell I'm your wife. Class. I'm middle class. You're a little bit richer than me. Forget my wife. You're giving me your sister in marriage, right? Like, Great. However that works out. Like, you're not giving me to her, but you have a sister, and I'm dating her. Yep. Um, 
And it's understood that you, as the patriarch of the family, because your dad's dead, your mom's dead, right, your brother's right. dead, everybody's dead except you and yep. the sister. And because we're such good friends, you know that your sister will best be taken care of by me because all three of us have grew up together and she loves me and I love her mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. You suddenly die. Right. You suddenly die. Woof. You get hit by a, by a car. By a high storm. About, yeah. It, it takes about four weeks to die from excruciating pain. You're in a coma, screaming for us to pull the plug, but we love you and we don't. Okay. Finally, right. we pull the plug because, you know, whatever. And I, irrespective of me marrying her or not, I know that you have, whether it's fears or a thing, something that belonged to you that is worth a lot of money. And I'm like, you know what? Sister does like let's call it an Xbox. Sister's not gonna play the freaking Xbox. His other friends don't appreciate games as much as I do. I can use the Xbox. Now, it's stretching the analogy a little bit, but is that stealing? Like it's not my Xbox. We we're friends. We might be bosom buddies, the best of bosom buddies, but that's not my Xbox. It's your Xbox. I'm dead. Well, yeah, and that's why I'm not like a harping <laughs> on Lyrid. I'm like, that guy's not gonna miss his stuff. Yeah. But if we're gonna be particular about our language, which I'm trying to be just to p- push you a little bit, is like he did take something that's not his. Nah, take like, it. Take it. At the end of the day, like I, that I'm, guy's not gonna miss. No, I, I, that, and that's the thing is like I'm not attached enough to stuff. And so this is this is honestly why I sometimes have trouble writing characters because of how I look at the world where I go, is this a life and death situation? No? Okay, then, you know, people made choices. And everyone believes they're the hero of their own story. And I actually, there's a side quest that I want to go down. I don't, we don't have to go down it today, but you brought up worldview. And it made me think about something that I've been toying with the last couple months, which is values, right? And I think values influence how you execute and act on worldview. And I don't know the hierarchy in which they take place because you talked about, I'm just going down this road. You talked about metaethics, ethics, and epistemology. Epistemology and ethics, yeah. Right, but where do values sit in there? Because I think values is honestly the foundation for those things. If we're going to keep with these definitions. Sure. Like that. Epistemology is the study of knowledge. How do you know what you know? Metaphysics is, are we in a vat? Are we in a computer? Or are we in the real world? If we're going to be really simplistic. And ethics is, what do you do? Like, like in light of those two things, how do you act? And that's where your values are built. Because you can't have, I value life. Why? How do you know what life is? How do you know what value is? So you can't have, you can't. So values would value. actually be the core. And I'm just going to cut you off here to try to simplify this for the, for the listeners. Values would be the core in the center of a bullseye, and then those three other pieces would be equally divided, potentially, around that single core. Is that fair? I don't agree with that. But for the analogy. I'll, I'll grant you that if you want to continue and you know to explain yourself, but on its face, I don't agree with that. Your values, what you value, what you aspire to be, what you think is good, what you think is bad, how you think people should live their lives that stems from your worldview. You already have presuppositions. So you some basic presuppositions, materialist, not materialist, religious, a-religious, you have some presuppositions that you come to everything with and you interpret the evidence presented to you in light of those presuppositions. Now, life and people are more complex than just that, but at its base, that's how humans interact with what they, uh, what they have. That's why Daniel Wallace, who's a New Testament scholar, 
and Bart Ehrman, who's a New Testament scholar, can come to the same evidence on New Testament critical theory and parchments. How many we have? Who said what? Can we really trust what this scholar says versus this scholar? What is the evidence for the transmission of the New Testament? It's all the same. There's no such thing as Bart Ehrman having access to something that Wallace doesn't. It's there. We've had the New Testament for 2,000 years. There's 5,000 plus manuscripts. Everything's been studied. Everything's been digitized. But both come to the same evidence. One saying this is a completely man-made book. And sometimes these men even fudged to make what Christianity is today. And Wallace comes to the same, same evidence and says, no, fallen men were given privilege by God to carry on this tradition. Were mistakes in manuscripts made? Yes. Were there copy errors? Yes. But given the weight of evidence, Wallace says, this is God's preservation through secondary means. Bart Ehrman says, nope, this is just man-made stuff. Man, you know, writing religious texts. They're looking at the same thing. My point is not to take sides in this because that's not the point of this podcast. My point is their worldviews dictate how they look at these things. And, and if we're going to throw values in there, both, both value life, both love their children, both love their wives, both pay taxes, probably don't embezzle from their organizations, probably try to be good, good citizens, right? We're going to assume all those things. So their values are both, you know, almost equal, right? Because Ehrman wants to seek the truth. We're going to grant him that because we don't have evidence to the contrary. And Wallace wants to seek the truth. So if their value is seeking the truth, that's a value, but they come to wildly different c conclusions and wildly different ways of going about things because of existing presuppositions. That, that's, that's all I, that, that's all I, I all, think all I'll say <laughs> and why I disagree. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I think that values are deeper than that. And, and this might, this honestly seems like a conversation for that other podcast type that I mentioned before that we won't go into here because I don't want someone to steal my idea. But uh, interesting thoughts, because I think that values actually sits at a different level of hierarchy for the items that you've listed. And I think it's partly woven through. And I think that there's other parts of the recipe that make up people um, from this just like worldview and, and values perspective that are need to be taken out of context because we are constantly receiving information and being put in situations and having to respond to them. Anyway, we'll just, we'll cap that side quest for now, right? Because we got to get back to our boy, Kaladin, and the things that are about to happen to him, which is melancholy and the chasm and, well, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. We have a second flashback. We So we had the first flashback and this is what got us on the tail of stealing the spheres. And the second flashback is when it's another one that involves Rashon, and we see something super heavy, right? Do you want to do you want to break the case, or do you want me to break the case? Why don't you do this one? All right. So Rashon, well, uh, actually, there's I think there's two there's two flashbacks. Sorry, there's two there's two flashbacks. Yeah, we covered one. With yeah, the dinner. Well, no, and there's then... three. There's three because the white spines. So like Rashon and his son end up coming back from a hunt. And that's right. Yeah. So there's there's actually three flashbacks because I'm, I'm misreading my notes. So the second flashback and the third one's the one that I was about to dive into. Second flashback, Rashon comes back with his son. They went to fight a white spine, which is like a big bear hunt, right? Like it's not a bear specifically, but it's this massive creature that lives in the wilderness that you just don't, you don't mess with, right? You just let it do its thing. But 
Rashon and his son went to try to find this thing. They got speared, and Laren and Kaladin have to save their lives. But plot twist, Rashon's son's not worth saving. Liren makes the call. As the surgeon who has limited supplies in his podunk town, and his son is already bleeding out, he makes the call, he can't save the son. But Rashon is screaming, save my son, save my son. And this is a really interesting moment, and I really love these scenes because this is basically the first time Kaladin comes to admit that he could kill. Now, what do I mean by that? So, he asks his father afterwards, the son dies, he saves Rashon. Kaladin says, why didn't you just nick an artery? He's already he's already bad enough. No one would blame you. No one would know, right? And so this is interesting for Liren because we just spoke about this long side quest of Liren stealing spheres because he believes he's entitled to them. But he believes in the sanctity of life to the point that he will save the lives of people who are literally harassing him and his family to be poor. So even if stealing the spheres was wrong, don't you think he earned them? Sorry, I won't open the side quest again. I just, I want to make a point that Rashon... He hasn't earned them. <laughs> just like I didn't earn your Xbox. Like, no. Uh, like, and that's a different... I would even argue that's conflating, you know, that's a category error. Whether he earned it or not, it doesn't come into question. Does it belong to him? I'm trying to razz you up. Keep going. If he kills this guy, his problems seemingly go away. But they really don't. Like, how many, and then who does he have to kill after that? How many spheres does he have to steal and how many people does he have to kill before, you know, everything is equaled out in Liren's and Cal's life, right? Mm-hmm. So whether or not he, a thief who believes in the sanctity of life, I don't know, I don't see that as necessarily as a contradiction, right? Because, you know, taking a thing that's not yours, it's a separate ethical issue than murdering somebody but they're not the same thing <laughs> all sins are both not might equal be wrong yeah both things might be wrong but they're not the same thing mm-hmm. like cheating on your taxes and running over pedestrians with a you know oh, truck boy. are two different things what if it's a segue two things that i run them over with Is that different a segue that's a third option because they're not oh boy not killed by the segue right they're just maimed. Not the first time I hit them, but definitely when I back up over them. Or, or their children, right? They're little children. Oh, hit boy. Them All right. We've degraded. We've degraded. No sanctity of life here. No sanctity of life here. All right. So that's the second flashback. Did you have any notes on that before I dive into the third flashback? Well, one note. Lyran can't catch a break. Death Because note. Roshan has figured out that he stole the spheres and he's going to make his life miserable. And I know we like Lyran and we like Cal, so we think Roshan- I don't really like Re- Lyran. I, I think he's a good dad. I think he's a good father. I think he's a good surgeon. I don't necessarily like him. Well, I already said that I don't like him. That's just a turn of phrase, right? All right, fair enough, fair enough. Because they're they're the good guys in this stuff, right? And Rashawn's supposed to be the rich bastard. Like, yeah, if somebody- Wait till you find out what he did. podunk town, and you're put there because you don't want to be there, you piss somebody off, and we're going to believe Liren's theory on this, that doesn't make you a bad guy. I'm going to tell you right now, that's true. Liren's theory is true, and I'm- that that's spoilers for you, but I'm telling you right now that that is true, and it's oh man, it's in book two, but like you, it's not good, man. It's bad. It's real bad. Anyway, keep going. All right, so maybe it does make him a bad guy because he did something that crappy to get him, you know, banished to this this land, unless he was screwed over somehow, unless something no, bad happened. No, no, this is definitely his choice. Anyway, okay, fair enough. My last thought on this flashback. 
Right. I lost my train of thought. Doesn't matter. Let's go. All right. YOLO. Yeah. So it was, I think it was in do, it was in terms of like justification for his actions and, and Liren can't catch a break. Liren and Cal can't catch a break. Yeah. It seems that no matter what he does, if he cuts the artery, doesn't cut the artery, trouble will follow him. And so no matter what he chooses here, it's going to be a crapshoot. So that, that, that's my final note. So killing the Roshan, not killing Roshan, L- Liren's already, uh, you know, set up to fail by his own by his own hand. Do you think that we do you think that we ever get present day relationship Kaladin with his father in the future books? Isn't his father dead? Might be. We don't know. Or he's either my my assumption is he's either dead or there's this line that I caught where Cal decided never to go home. You're dead to me, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Well, so so that leads us into the third flashback, and then we'll wrap up with the chasms. Hmm. The third flashback is Rashon, Rashon's cousin, Bright Lord Amaram, comes to the town and needs volunteers to join the army. And Rashon's right as city lord is to pick people from the town who are not necessary to join the war to protect the lands. Now, this city falls in the jurisdiction of Sadius, which is also the Bright Lord that Kaladin is currently trapped under in the bridge cruise. So that's interesting. But Amaram is your noble military man who looks upright, upstanding, and blah, 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 right? Well, we see he asks for volunteers. He gets like two. He needs about 10 or 12. And he reads off the names. Those people have to go. And then Rashon says, and then read the last name on the list. And it's Tien. It's Kaladin's brother. It's Kaladin's little brother who can't even not faint when he sees blood. And this throws Kaladin off guard. It throws his parents off guard. People die in war. Like, they know exactly. His, that's a death sentence for his son. And Kaladin decides, I'm going to go protect him. But we know... Based on the story, Kaladin doesn't protect him. We don't know what happens, but we know that Kaladin doesn't protect him. And it's, yeah, yeah. And we we see this reoccurring theme and belief that Kaladin holds, which is he always is the one to survive. He tries to protect people, but they keep dying. And he, think it's a, he thinks it's a big joke by the Almighty against him for his entire life. That's tough. Yeah, or a curse. In the, in the following chapters, he even calls it a curse. Right. There's there's legends of people who have been given immortality because they have done something horrible, like sacrifice their children to void bringers. So they're like, all right, you can get vor- we'll give you immortality. You got your wish. Your child's death has granted you your wish, but now you're going to die every day in a horrible, in a horrible it's, uh, it's, um, scenario. It's Prometheus. It's Sisyphus, right? Sisyphus, yeah, yeah, okay. right. Sisyphus escapes Hades twice. This is Greek mythology, everybody. Sisyphus escapes Hades twice. He gets caught back down in Hades a third time, and they go, look, you're real cunning. We'll just make you a deal. If you can push this boulder up a hill, and it stays there, we'll let you out. Easy peasy. But for eternity, the boulder continues to roll back to the bottom of the hill. And so for eternity, he keeps pushing a boulder up the hill. Or Prometheus, and this one I'm less confident about, so I could be wrong on the details, and it might be someone else. Prometheus brings fire from Olympus down to the humans and then he's chained to a rock and uh, it was ravens or crows end up eating his flesh off every day and then it regrows and happens again the next day for eternity right so awesome 
it's it's the same concept of you know eternal damnation uh because of your actions yeah so cal thinks that um he might be cursed in a similar manner or if not cursed that the stormfather the almighty is toying with him in a similar similar fashion so how do you think he acquired this curse if you well so precursor question do you think that it's really a curse no okay no. i think cal is just a melancholy boy fair fair <laughs> and, and man and do, man now. Do you think He's that a... the Almighty and the Stormfather are the same person? I'm going to go with no. Fair. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, so your brother goes to, to, to battle and, and you claim, I'm going to protect him. Uh, You fail. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't, in my mind, it doesn't have to be this thing where Cal is being nonchalant. That's, that's even an applicable word. I don't think he's being uh, braggadocious or beating his chest. I'm going to protect him. Like, no, he literally wants to protect him. This is a genuine response because he had given up the dream of being a soldier. A surgeon is what I'm going to be. What pushes him into the army is not some sort of, you know, flip of emotions or, you know, um, floundering. I would still say it's a flip of emotions, but I understand what you mean. Because, like, it's triggered by... Rashon taking revenge and he's like it, it's not his childish emotions it's an attempt to be a man i would say it's an attempt at honor yeah that would be the honorable action in my mind so so no i don't think there's a curse great all right so we get this flashback and then one more thing happens in this section of chapters as we wrap up and land this plane for this episode kaladin's men have seen him survive the impossible they watched a miracle happen through a high storm. They get chasm duty because the the bright lord that was in charge of their bridge crews is killed on the spot, basically, for insubordination of the bridge crews and losing the battle, etc., etc. So the new people who come in, as you might guess, are more wicked than the first. We're all very surprised. No one's surprised. She changes, and she wears the pants in this situation, the, the wife does, she makes all the bridge crews do the same task over and over and over again. And because bridge four was the cause of this big issue, they get the pleasure of going into the chasms basically in hopes that they die because chasm fiends are also down there. We've seen scratches on the walls. We know they're down there. So it's kind of just a matter of time until one shows up, if we're being honest. It's been foreshadowed so heavily. Uh, when they are down there, almost in every incident, that it's just kind of a matter of time. But he's down there, and he's slipping back into the wretch that he was, and that's even what one of the one of the chapters is called. And his men are looking for hope, and they already got this incredible thing. Sill even confronts him, and she's like, "Hey, why are you being melancholic? You just survived a high storm." What gives? I'm paraphrasing, but the point stands. And he just wants to be alone. And Teft comes over. Love Teft. Such a good guy. And he's like, Kaladin, what are you doing? I don't remember what he says exactly. But he tries to get him to engage, right? And something draws him back out. Something reminds him that, you know, if you're going to die anyway, you may as well die fighting. Any thoughts on this this section, this chapter, the wretch, Kaladin's journey 
before destination. Nothing, nothing that could uh, top what you what you just said because it seems to be par for the course for Kaladin to be just prone to melancholy. Of course. So that seems to be something that Kaladin can't escape. He gets all crestfallen and melancholy. He gets into a malaise. I'm using big words here. Big word Slava coming in hot. And he goes through this through these like roller coaster moments where everything is horrible and he becomes a wretch. And then he's like, Oh wait, no, life is still good. I must live on. And I and I must be honorable in how I live. And that brings him out and he does good and amazing things. So I'm not I'm not gonna spend too much time saying, you know, anything about that except that that is what I see Calvin doing here. It's just another bout of depression and then coming out of it for him. So I want to ask a difficult question. We've talked about doing a different book after this. How tied to the storyline are you feeling currently to, like, would you, are you going to be itching to read book two when we finish this? I am saving an audible uh, credit just to buy it, so... So, but that if you, question. if you, uh, but if you go ahead, how are we going to record it for your first time through? This is a, this is a Slava first. There's only one time to do first. Anyway, I. Please, let's not do Slava reads all of the Stormlight archives and each. But I would. Through the first. <laughs> is a first. I, but I would though. Uh, because. Think, no, go for it. I don't think it'd be good for the podcast. I think it's interesting to do once in a while. No, that's Slava's fair. First, or yeah. I pick something you never read, and we get you kind of watch your yeah. yeah. That's great once in a while, but like a ten thousand page tome. No, <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. On Tuesday of this week, I went and I saw a buddy of mine who's read the Stormlight, and I all of it. He's he's my like local friend who has read the books, and we. We got caught up talking about theories, and we'll text back and forth things from Reddit about the theories and the Cosmere and da da da. And I was like, "How?" He's like, "Oh, hey, I listened to your your two the current two released episodes of of Stormlight," and I was like, "Oh, great! Like, give me some feedback." And he's like, "Well, I thought it was really good. I thought I really enjoyed it." And I and I asked him this question because he knows I knew he how he would respond. I was like, "What's it like to experience it for the first time again?" through someone else and he goes oh yeah i remember like because he and i both read it like four or five times the whole series like all of the books slava and so like i got you but i believe you yeah yeah and so it's like there's something about like oh man i remember my first time you know it's i don't want to talk about it in the way that you talk about like sleeping with your wife for the first time but it's like oh man i remember my first it's like hitting your first home run in little league right like listen it doesn't always i know in our minds and in our context like societal you say anything and go sexual. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be first time. Could be anything. First, first time, time, anything. Right, right, drinking right. Drinking a beer. First time watching like a movie in the theater. I remember my my first time in an American in an, any movie theater at all. But it was in America. I was eleven years old. First time in a theater. It was a drive-in theater. Oh, it was, so good. I, I was in the primo spot, and I watched Terminator Two. Oh and man, my little eleven-year-old head. Exploded, exploded right and you can never take that away from me right like, t2 is one of my favorite movies because of that right and that's like and it's not a bad movie but it's not like cinematic gold either but it's my <laughs> one of my favorite movies because that's it so your your right, first is all whatever it is right right first time with anything you you know mundane or whatever 
it's always going to be rememberable. Right. Rememberable? So, memorable. Memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. got you. All right. Well, we'll land this plane here, but I'm just letting you know that Spencer and I, that's his name. Shout out, Spencer, if you get to this episode. Like, we understand. And and going through first with the Cosmere is a, is a whole thing. It's why I've suggested it a, cu- a couple times. And other people, too, even that uh, storm pod that we found this week, it's like people enjoy watching other people enjoy this thing that we like for the first yeah. time and then diving into it because it's like, oh, yeah, I remember when I thought that about Dalinar or I remember when I thought this about Liren and then XYZ happened in book 37, right? Like, whatever. Yeah. Liren becomes a Terminator and he goes to the future to kill John Connor. Well, listen, like one of my first assumptions, which was a wild one, I said, all this is happening in different time timelines. Right. And Shalon is Spren. That's an insane assumption. It is. Whether it was, was true or not, that's kind of like, well, but, you know, how do you get there to, to make that assumption? Well, you're reading. This is your first time. Yep. Yep. You, but not your first time with Sanderson. So you understand the writer and you're trying to, at least me, Slava, you're trying to pick the least, I don't want to, obvious, least cliche, least cliche, least tropey answer. And you're like, all right. What would be very interesting, but also not completely out of the you know the realm of possibility? Something that's right. stupid, but something that's a little fantastical, but not tropey. So I'm I'm kind of like I'm thinking through. I'm like, all right, I think this might be it. It seems like that'd be interesting, and it seems like it could be it. Right. So all that stuff, <laughs> of course, is interesting when the first time you read through with it. As you read on, you're like, all right, sill is sill, Sprenner created beans. Shalon is this girl from her place. Uh, her, yep, yep. She's from her place. Her home. That's true. She, that's where she lives. Man, accurate statements. Yeah, that's it. That, all right, let's land Whatever. this plane. I'm going to leave Slava with a fun tidbit because he hasn't read ahead as far as I've understood. So in a couple chapters, Slava, we're going to meet Hoyd. Do you remember who Hoyd is? Yes. Who's Hoyd? Yes. Hoyd is the guy that's being sought by three That's correct. Hoppers. That's correct. And, well, we're going to meet him. So That's excellent. Interesting things. I might be meeting him in a chapter or two because... It's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah, this next section. Um, Anyway, folks, thanks for diving in. This episode, I think we're going to cut it down, but it was a little long. Uh, But, I mean, that's the the case. Two hours and 20, but we'll we'll cut it down. Because there's a... What I do um, for this, for you good people, is if we ramble on too long... Even if some of you might enjoy those rambles, for the other normal people that are not like us and you mm. and enjoy the ramblings, mm-hmm. we cut it down so it's about an hour, hour and ten for these things. Then by these things, I mean we have King episodes. True, true. Well, stay tuned next time where we discuss more chapters, which will be chapters 46 to 51 plus three interludes. And we are halfway. This was the halfway mark for the episodes we're doing. And I'm still trying to make episode 10 be really special and fun and might actually be getting some of the details worked out tomorrow. So I'll see. Hopefully that's the case. We'll find out. But that's all for this week. All right. Goodbye, good people.